This is the World War II Radio Podcast. A date which will live in infamy. This is London. We shall fight in the hills. We shall never surrender. Go ahead, Berlin. This is the National Broadcasting Company. Welcome to the World War II Radio Podcast. Today we have the July 4th, 1943 edition of CBS World News Today. It includes analysis and updates on the war from Honolulu, Knoxville, Tennessee, Algiers, London, Washington, and New York. The World War II Radio Podcast is a Brick Pickle Media production. If you like the show, please leave feedback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you happen to listen. You can also visit our website at brickpicklemedia.com slash podcast, where you can find links to past episodes and other information. So thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy today's episode of the World War II Radio Podcast. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. World News Today, brought to you by Continental Radio and Television Corporation, makers of Admiral Radio, America's smart set. By shortwave broadcast, direct from important overseas stations, as well as the leading news centers of our own country, CBS correspondents are waiting to bring you a complete report from the world's political and battlefronts. But first, here's Doug Edwards. Axe territory is reverberating to the burst of Allied bombs on this July 4th. American raiders are in action all the way from the Aleutians to the Dutch Celebes in the Pacific. Over Western Europe, Allied daylight raiders are continuing the offensive, thus celebrating the anniversary of the first American attack on Europe a year ago today. Nor is there any let-up in the Mediterranean. But now, for details on Pacific action, Admiral Radio takes you to CBS Washington, Lee White reporting. Today's Navy communique reports an attack by lightning fighter planes on anti-aircraft positions guarding the Japanese encampment near the Munda Airdrome. Also, an attack on the same area by Douglas dive bombers and Grumman torpedo planes. That's all the fresh news there is of the fighting in the Solomons. Whether the fact that torpedo planes were used in the attack on Munda means that enemy warships have put in an appearance there is a matter for speculation. The torpedo planes may have accompanied the bombers only in the off chance that they might discover an enemy ship or two. But the communique makes no mention of it if they did. An army communique this morning announced that General MacArthur is personally directing operations on the front in New Guinea. This is the second time that General MacArthur has taken the field since leaving Bataan. The other was last October when he established headquarters at Port Moresby for the victorious drive on Buna. This time, he is in command of air and sea forces as well. And in the last two days, Australia reports, the Japanese have sent more than 100 planes against our new positions on Rendova and New Georgia Islands. Eleven have been shot down. This brings our total bag of enemy planes so far to 134. Our own losses total 25 planes, but the pilots of 12 have been saved. 
Today's Navy communique reports also that Army Liberator bombers have again attacked the enemy base on Nauru and the Gilbert Islands with unobserved results. And there have been nine more bombings of Kiska in the Aleutians. Here in Washington, we're celebrating the quietest Fourth of July in American history. The only official observance today of the 167th anniversary of our independence will be a concert by the Marine Band and a speech by Admiral Woodward at the Washington Monument this evening. Needless to say, except for a few boys shooting off last year's firecrackers, there has been no fireworks. Powder and magnesium flares have more important uses in time of war. I return you now to New York and Doug Edwards. More news in just a moment, but first here's Warren Sweeney with a word from Admiral Radio. We hold that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Those words, set down Thomas Jefferson in the Declaration of Independence, describe the American way of life, a way unchanged in the 167 years which have followed. When Admiral Radio's World News Today brings you first-hand reports from our far-flung battlefronts, when your butcher tears precious stamps out of your ration book, when most luxuries and even some necessities have disappeared from the market because industry is busy supplying equipment to the armed forces, then you have evidence America is again united and at war to preserve the spirit behind those words. This fight is no light task. There is death and misery for the flyers over Guadalcanal, for the men on all fighting fronts. There is annoying sacrifice for the families on the home front. There is unceasing toil, never-ending problems for business, big and small, which gives up peacetime production and converts to build the goods of war. But these sacrifices and hardships will be worthwhile if we can destroy the forces which would take equality and freedom from us if we can give every man the inalienable rights with which he was endowed by his creator, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And we will do these things, for we, whether civilians, soldiers, or workers, are above all else Americans, believing in the American way, willing to fight for it to the death. Now here once again is Doug Edwards. Pearl Harbor is anxiously watching developments in the northern and southern Pacific. For more details on these battles and an interview with some of our fighting men celebrating Independence Day there, Admiral Radio takes you to CBS Honolulu, Webley Edwards reporting. There's uh, plenty of fireworks for the 4th of July in the Pacific. The Americans flag on in their drive on Jap-held positions in New Georgia... Supporting ground forces with artillery and aerial bombing and strafing. That runaway by a Japanese surface force of three light cruisers and four destroyers from our uh, Navy forces at Rendover Island was in keeping with the custom of Jap naval forces for some time now. It's not the first time their warships have decided that discretion was the better part of valor. Navy men here will tell you it happens all the time. That's not to say the Japs lack courage. Their courage in the past has led them into the loss of many ships. They evidently have learned their lesson. Here are a sailor and a soldier for a slant on Independence Day. Sergeant Bud Nelson of Bayside, Long Island, New York. This is George R. McLean, fire controlman first class of the Navy, who hails from Madison, Wisconsin. How are you, Bud? Right on the beam, George. McLean here enlisted in the Naval Reserve back in August 1938. He's been promoted five times, the last time for especially meritorious conduct under fire. 
How many engagements you been in, George? Seven. Where were you on the 4th of July a year ago? We just finished up with the Battle of Midway. We're having a little breathing spell. Well, where do you hope you are on the 4th of July next year? Home. I thought you might be Tokyo. No, I hope we've already been there by then. All right, somebody back home you'd especially like to see? Yes, my mother and father. Mr. and Mrs. George E. McLean, Route 2, there in Madison. And uh, one and only girl from her and being a star for today's her birthday. A birthday? Well, what's her name? Lola Meyer. Would you like to send her a birthday greeting? Many happy returns of the day, and I hope I can deliver all the rest of them in person. That's right. What were you doing to observe the 4th of July last year, Sergeant Nelson? Working. Uh-huh. Still working. Now, what's your job in the Army, Sergeant? I'm in G2. We don't get around quite as much as McLean here, but we do manage to get around some. Well, where were you uh, a year ago or before? <laughs> I was on an undisclosed mission on an undisclosed island. Mm, that gives a complete picture. Are your parents still there in Bayside, Long Island? Yes, they are. Mr. and Mrs. Robert Nelson, 222 Street. I hope they're well and happy. And I want to tell them and the parents of all the men out here that we think of them often. Not only all of us, not all of us can get a break crack at the jobs. Some of us have other kinds of work to do. And, Mac, tell the Navy that we're backing you up with all we've got. That was Webley Edwards reporting from Honolulu. We return you now to CBS in New York. In this country, CBS reporter Bill Slocum, Jr. has been visiting German and Italian prisoners of war who now are being held under Army Guard in a camp in Tennessee for the duration. For a report on how these Axis prisoners live and act, Admiral Radio takes you to CBS Knoxville, Bill Slocum, Jr., reporting. In starting off this story on the care and feeding of Italian and German war prisoners, I am moved to a slight preamble to wit. Remember the golden rule. If you find yourself bridling at the kindness heaped on these modern slave traders, remember this one simple fact. There are an awful lot of our boys who are German and Italian prisoners, and this do-unto-others sentiment is strictly a two-way proposition. I spent the greater part of a day at the Crossville internment camp eating Italian food, talking to German soldiers, and learning a fact that should surprise and shock 400 of my Irish cousins and aunts. I am a Teuton. Of that interesting and discouraging discovery, more later. But now I'd like you to meet Colonel Frank T. Addington, Commandant of the Crossville Internment Camp. Colonel Addington started his Army career 31 years ago as a buck private. He's all soldier. Colonel Addington, would you tell our listeners what you told me yesterday before you let me talk to some prisoners? Yes, I told you that these men were not criminals, that they were prisoners of war, and that they were entitled under the Geneva Convention Agreement to the same food and treatment American soldiers get. I also told you that you could talk to the prisoners, but they were not required to answer you. And, Colonel, you have never been writer. The Italians wouldn't talk without their general's okay, and their general sent word he was sleeping. But I did see a very famous Italian general deeply engrossed in a bed of radishes. White icicles, they were. How about the discipline, Colonel? Who's responsible for that? Well, we are responsible, of course, but the officers of both armies see to it that their men keep good order. They do a good job, too. But if they don't stop using fire extinguishers to water their gardens, I'll have to cut out that deer that the Geneva Convention permits for a couple of days. How about complaints, Colonel? Every week I meet separately with the ranking German and Italian officers. They air their complaints and I decide. 
If they don't like my decisions, they can always take the matter up with the International Red Cross representative. Well, they both told me they were well treated here, except their quarters were a little cramped. They told me about those quarters, too. I just packed a few of the top rankers in a jeep, took them over to my quarters. Now, I'll ask you a question. You ate some of their food. How did you like it? Well, I've eaten in 20 or 30 army posts, Colonel, and I never had anything as good. It's actually the same meat as our boys get, and we give the Germans potatoes and sauerkraut instead of certain vegetables, and the Italians get things to make spaghetti and macaroni. But I must admit that around mealtime, I like to be a prisoner of war myself. Well, how do they feel about this war, Colonel? Well, the Panzer Division Colonel gave you a pretty good answer. The one who said you were a Teuton. Oh, yes. He told me that English and Americans, being Teutons, shouldn't be fighting the Germans. And then he told me this. If the Americans and English win this war, they will have to fight the Bolshevist Russians. And then he laughed and shrugged. But he said, of course, you wouldn't be allowed to say a thing like that on the American radio. He also told me he'd be listening to this broadcast. Thank you, Colonel Addington. I return you now to CBS in New York and Doug Edwards. Next to CBS Algiers, Winston Burdett reporting. Up at Allied Force Headquarters, General Eisenhower and General Juin, Chief of Staff of French Armed Forces in North Africa, heard a Zouave band play the Star Spangled Banner. And a moment later, a 48-ton finance thundered from the bay from the flagship of the Royal Navy. Here at the microphone this evening are two American soldiers who've come a long way since July 4, 1942. They are Sergeant Edward Vanderhoff of Plainfield, New Jersey, and Corporal John Collins of Oil City, Pennsylvania. Both of them landed a few miles outside Iran last November. In February, they went up to the front and were right in the battle from then on at Kasserine, at Casta, and El Guitar, and later up in the north, where the Americans drove the Germans out of the hills onto Matur. Ed, where were you a year ago? I was at sea, and I celebrated July the 4th on a transport. We were just four days out of New York on our way to England. And John, where were you? I was KP at Indian Town Gap in Pennsylvania. I remember we had a pretty good time that night at the amusement park, having beer and riding the swings. It's a very different July 4th today. I might not have known what day it was if you hadn't asked me to broadcast. That's the way it is for most of the troops, too. It's just another day of training. You know... None of us have stopped training because we knocked the Germans out of Africa. That was just the first round. Most of the men are celebrating July 4th by getting ready for round two. John, is there any day in the past year that stands out in your mind? Yes, April 20th at El Guitar. We got way over into German territory by mistake, and they shelled us off the side of a hill. It was the heaviest fire we had ever had up to then, and I remember it because I got a bullet in my leg. It kept me out of action for about two weeks. And you, Ed, what day do you remember most? March the 26th. Where were you then? At El Guitar, way out in the front line. But that's not the reason I remember March the 26th. It's because they put me a telegram saying my wife had had a baby. I really felt as though I could lick the world on that day. This is Allied Force Headquarters in North Africa. Returning you to CBS in New York. In Western Europe, British and American planes have made new raids on the Axis-occupied continent. 
For details and a special message from one of Britain's high war leaders, Admiral Radio takes you to CBS London, John Daly reporting. This July 4th is the first anniversary of offensive operations by our 8th Air Force based here in Britain. And today, large formations of our forts and liberators were out over occupied France. That bare announcement was made by 8th Air Force headquarters a few minutes ago. No further details have been released yet. But Britain's Air Ministry has just announced that reconnaissance photographs taken over Kelk and Deutz, industrial districts of Cologne, raided in great strength by the RAF last night, show that great fires are still burning in both districts eight hours after the raid. The RAF and our 8th Air Force, working together once again around the clock on this Independence Day, demonstrate the unity of purpose and of Britain and America. It is a proud story of two great peoples working to one end. To paint its pattern on a broader canvas, here is Mr. Oliver Littleton, Britain's Minister of Production, who probably knows that story better than any other man in the British Isles. On July the 4th, 167 years ago, the United States of America declared their independence. Today, July the 4th, 1943, it is clear to all, and particularly to the Axis, that the two countries are closer together than they have ever been. Today, the American bombers bomb Germany by day and we by night. This also is a symbol. And I believe that in the future, the enemies of freedom can count the air forces of the two countries as interdependent, the one on the other. The two navies, the two armies, interdependent, the one on the other. They will be the great and solid bulwark that will stand between mankind and the fire and blast and ruin of total war. Uh, I've been privileged to cross the Atlantic more than once in the last 12 months and to have seen for myself the United States at war. Each time I have been deeply impressed by what I saw. But this afternoon I want to say something about our achievements in Britain, chiefly in production. Before I do so, it is particularly important and seemly that I should acknowledge the great help that we have had from America under Lend-Lease. In 1943, we estimate that the aid which we, shall have, which we shall have from the United States in ships and munitions of war will be equivalent to the work of one and a half million additional workers working for the whole 12 months. What are we to show on the other side? We are supplying on Lend-Lease terms to the United States equipment like clothing, services and materials in the building of aerodromes and camps, territory like overseas bases, weapons of war like Spitfires, though only in a small proportion, against some of the fighter aircraft which we receive from the United States. I think you would be surprised to know that the Lend-Lease aid which we ourselves are giving to America and Russia during the current year is a high proportion of the Lend-Lease aid which we receive from America. But I'm going to speak this afternoon about the big things. And I hope that it will be clear from what I say that we are worthy allies both of the United States and of the other United Nations. We have mobilized. For example, of the 3,250,000 unmarried women between the ages of 18 and 40, Nine out of every ten are engaged on whole-time war work in the armed forces, in civil defense, or in industry. 
What are the results of such a complete mobilization? We are now producing a greater volume of goods than ever before in the history of our country, whether in war or peace. The war production of the British Commonwealth is now larger than that of Germany, Austria, and Czechoslovakia put together. The production of the United States far exceeds our own. But if we like to make up the accounts in this way, we could say that the British Commonwealth alone has neutralized German production. And the Axis can now calculate how the production of Italy, Japan, and the occupied territories compares with the vast output of the United States and Russia. They can derive what satisfaction they like from this chastening thought. In the course of the mobilization, we have directed men and women to work where they are wanted. We have taken them from their homes and sent them to far distant factories. They are working the longest hours that can be endured. We have very considerable armed forces. They are numbered literally in millions. We are now, in fact, a great military nation. We have been forced to be. We have tightened our belts. There are very real hardships for every one of us in both the food and clothes rationing. We are now living on less than half the imports which we received into our country in a normal year before the war. Millions of tons less. And you can judge what that means in the saving of ships and sailors' lives. I have already told you that in spite of this, we are producing a larger volume of goods than ever before. And I've tried to tell you in no boastful spirit something of our tasks and our achievements. These achievements could only have been fulfilled by a free people who believe in the cause for which they are fighting. With you, we share that cause and that belief. We are with you to the very end. And we shall share with you the last day of the war with Germany and Italy. Last day of the war with Japan. Thank you, Mr. Littleton. And now, what are American soldiers doing on this July 4th in England? To find out, we take you to Larry Lesseur at the Red Cross Rainbow Club here in London. I'm standing in the center of hundreds of American enlisted men dancing to Cap K's band in the Rainbow Club, the Red Cross Rainbow Club, just off Piccadilly Circus. This used to be the famous old Manor restaurant. The bells and blades of the gay 90s used to dance here. Now our Yanks are gliding around the palace floor in their heavy boots, avoiding the toes of the pretty English girls, not to mention our own Red Cross canteen workers. I'll try to snag a couple of the boys to ask them what they've been doing this 4th of July in England. Here's a tall blonde corporal here. Say, what's your name, corporal? Corporal Willis Richards of Saginaw, Michigan. Corporal, would you mind telling us what you did around London today on this 4th of July? Well, my buddy, Robert Delta Richardson of Charlevoix, Michigan, had the day off, too. We walked over to Hyde Park and wandered around the Serpentine. We watched some fellows fishing for a while, but they didn't catch anything. The rest of the boys here went on a boat ride and up things for a picnic. My buddy and I wandered around London and had a few beers. Then we went up to Regent's Park for a little more scene. Oh. We went back to Hyde Park and watched the Yanks beat the Canadians in a baseball game. Well, Corporal Richards, you look about 21 or 22. I don't suppose you were in the Army last 4th of July. 
you remember what you did at home last year? Well, I was a defense worker. Last 4th of July, I drove my wife and her folks to the beach of Wall Lake in Pontiac. We, went, we spent the afternoon swimming. We went speedboat riding. Afterwards, we ate a lot of hot dogs and ice cream corn. In the evening, we shot off some fireworks. That was a real 4th of July. Well, it really doesn't sound much different than today's. But I got a pretty good idea where you'd like to be next 4th of July, Corporal Richard. Thanks a lot. I return you now to CBS New York and Doug Edwards. Once again, here is Warren Sweeney with a message from our sponsor. This is the 4th of July, Independence Day, a day Americans are determined to celebrate for years to come. So instead of telling of the many ways in which Admiral-built radio equipment is serving our fighting men, let's talk for a moment about the world after this war. What the world would it be for you? It can be the beginning of a better life, or it can mean starting all over again depending upon the wisdom you show now. Many of your possessions are wearing out during these years of war, and even though you may be earning more money than ever, they can't be replaced until after victory. When peace comes, in addition to replacing worn-out possessions, you'll want to own many of the new products and discoveries which will be on the market. But will you be able to own them? The answer is up to you. It's easy to fritter away the extra dollars you're earning on the luxuries which are left. But doing so means starting life all over after the war. So put every available dollar and dime into war bonds now. War bonds can be the nest egg that makes your post-war world a good world. They'll make it easy to build a home, to own a new Admiral Radio and other fine products of American industry. Yes, you'll want to own need to own many things. So for your own sake, as well as your country's, put every available dollar into war bonds. Make the world after the war a good world for yourself, for all of us. World News Today is brought to you each Sunday at this hour by Continental Radio and Television Corporation, makers of Admiral Radio, America's Smart Set. Be sure to listen again next Sunday when Admiral brings you World News Today by shortwave, direct from the leading news centers of the world. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. The WBBM Air Theater, Wrigley Building, Chicago.